The field is set for the Lexus Melbourne Cup. Ready to run. Stand by for a start. Takes crash and they're racing in the Melbourne Cup. G'day, I'm Corey Brown. Over the next eight weeks, I'm going to be chatting to some of the best trainers and jockeys in the world. They've all played a part in Australia's greatest horse race, the Melbourne Cup. That first Tuesday in November, when all eyes head to Flemington to see all 24 horses and jockeys take on the 3,200 metres. It's been run 160 times and last year was a first. It was run without a crowd. I've come second twice, I've come third twice and I've also fallen in the race. Either way, it's an absolute honour to ride in the Lexus Melbourne Cup and to stand up and listen to that national anthem. It's like competing for your country. And today's guest is a great mate, Glenn Boss. It's rock and roll, mate. Unbelievably one of the world's best, um, Glenn Boss. Mate, your record in big races is absolutely outstanding. Um, let's kick off by asking, you know, you're, you're a proud Queenslander. You um, grew up in Caboolture. How did racing life start for you, mate? Because I know a lot of kids um, are born and bred into it. Their fathers are jockeys or they were involved in racing. But I know that wasn't the, the fact for you. No, Brownie, it wasn't actually. Um, um, obviously brought up on farms around the Caboolture area and um, just being a you know bush bush kid. Um, you know, I started riding horses when I was very young. I think I was first introduced to a horse when I was about four years old. And from that point, you know, I was actually hooked with the animal. I, I just um, – we did pony clubs and did all the shows. And um, most days were spent around a horse or on the back of a horse when we were kids. And early days with just no saddles, you know, it was like it was rough as guts, right? We used to, we didn't have saddles. We used to just fang around paddocks with just a halter on and just, you know, go flat out. And, um, yeah, but I was never – ever had – visions of being a jockey. I didn't know what that that part of the industry of riding was all about and um, until one fateful day that when my grandparents took me to the races at Gympie and um, and I never knew what the races were but I just going out for a day out it was it, it was summer holidays for us and I went up there with my grandparents and um, uh, happened to see a race a race unfold just in front of my eyes and, and you know what it's like Brownie you, and you've been there when you're ground level when you've got sort of 10 horses, you know, within touching distance, when you're ground level, you can just feel the ground and you, the noise and the speed was unbelievable. And I was hooked from that from that moment on, I was hooked. It was. It's funny you say that because uh, obviously a kid, I grew up around racing and that was, for me, and still is to, to some extent, um, one of my favourite things. Like I used to go around and sit on the barriers when the horses would start and I couldn't believe like that feeling, the earth moving underneath the horses' feet when they leave the barriers. But... Um, when I was riding, quite often if I was at Hawkesbury, because you drive along the outside fence there, if I wasn't in the last race or if there was a race to go, I'd quite often pull the car up on the outside fence and uh, watch the jockeys, you know, like roll past with those horses. And it's just amazing, the noise and the feel, like I said, the earth underneath them. And I, I totally agree that why it got you hooked. But where, where did where did it start? Like what stables did you go to and who sort of taught you how to ride in races? I, I went back to, to school on the Monday after being at the Gympie races on Saturday and 
I quit school Monday. I actually told the teachers that I would never come back to school. I went back and told my mum that I'd quit school that day and she was like aghast, you know, like, and I said, I want to, I want to be a jockey. And the next week um, I was back up at Gympie and my grandmother introduced me to a name, a, a, chap, a trainer called Terry Chinna um, up in Gympie. And, and that's what started my apprenticeship. Um, I could already ride a horse. I was really good on a horse, you know, as, as far as, you know, that, transition to become a jockey it's a completely different um genre isn't it you know it's, it's all different so um but when oh. i started to learn to be become a jockey it just it just felt so natural to me riding short i used yeah. to ride short um when i was doing a lot of show jumping and all that you know what i mean like it sort of it felt really natural for me yeah. um and I'm, i remember just like we would burn around the properties on his farm flat stick up and down hills riding a short like a short jockey you know like not a care in the world you'd fall <laughs> off never never can remember getting yeah. hurt but you, i would never do it now we just used to you know down big slopes flat out on horses riding as short as we do today it was just so much fun um yeah and i was hooked hooked from that point so you cut your teeth around the the southeastern area of queensland what was your favorite track when you were a kid Oh, well, Gympie was my favourite. Um, you know, it was a sand track. It was only about, it's about 13, 1,400 metres around at the most. So it was pretty hairy days. Um, but, you know, it's like when you're just, when you're young, you just, you just pin your ears back and you've got no fear and you just, we went to some crazy places, Emerald. Oh, we went all through north, uh, northwest of Queensland. Some places didn't have running rails, you know. It was, but it was just great fun for me. I didn't, um, you know, I, I didn't, I was quite tall. And when I started my apprenticeship, I was about 44, 45, 46 kilos. So most people didn't think I was going to last long. So I didn't really care. I was just going to go flat out as long as I could and, and just see what happened, you know. And how did you end up at the Gold Coast? Yeah, that's where you finished your apprenticeship? Yeah, I, what happened, my first year of riding up in Gympie, I won the seniors title and the apprentice title um, that year. Um, and Graham Ireland, who was the leading, who was the head steward up there, he was from Brisbane. Um, he was a great jockey himself, and he realised I had a bit of talent, but all that being pretty rough. <laughs> um, and he, he could see that I wasn't going to be in Gympie that long, and uh, he got my indentures transferred to Kay Tinsley on the Gold Coast, and um, that was the start of the, the big adventure. And look, I've known you for years. You were telling me a story how you were searching through the bottom of your car for change to put petrol in your car and you said that if you didn't ride winners today or winner today that you were going to go out and find a different career. Yeah, I had many many situations in my early days back then, Corey, but, and there was a couple of standout moments like that. Um, but it, you were never quite, never phased by it, you know? Like, you just, you always had this vision of going forward and... Um, isn't it, it Sloan and I were just talking about that today. You know, like when we had nothing, that was probably our most memorable fun times of our life. We had nothing, you know, and but we didn't care. We, we were happy. Um, and yeah, there was this one particular day where what happened? I, I, my tax had never been paid as an apprentice. I didn't know what tax. I didn't even have any tax file number, whatever it is, you know. I think there's I think there's a few young jockeys yeah, that fall into the and same trap. Yeah, when track. I come out of my apprenticeship, I had all this money, you know, whoa, big deal. And so I went and bought this new car. And then obviously you go and find, um, you get hooked up with an accountant, blah, blah, blah. And 
and um, you find that you haven't paid tax, <laughs> and then I got fined and all this sort of stuff, and I lost everything, lost lost the whole lot. All I had was this damn brand new Celica, which I hadn't paid for yet, and um, Sloan and I had moved into an apartment um, with rented furniture, and, and we had not a dime. Um, and I was going to the Ipswich races that day, I had four rides, and um, I said to Sloan, this is the day we either go forward or we don't. Um, but not like I said, not a you know, just drive to the races um, and virtually with only enough petrol to get there and back. And um, I rode three winners and um, used to get your cash at the – used to line up and get your money at the end of the day. And, like, it was like $800 or something. And it was like, bang, you're on your way, you know. You go home and celebrate. And, and um, yeah, but great memories, eh? I want to fast forward a few years uh, to 2002 and – uh, it was one of the days when I seen you walk back through the gates at the uh, International Airport and um, the apparatus that you had um, bolted to your head. Tell me the fall in Macau, mate. Um, when did you know that it was as serious as it was? And, um, yeah, like, h- how did you cope with that? Yeah, Brady, you've known me forever. And, um, yeah, when I actually had the fall, it was a very meaningless fall. It was nothing. Um the fact that I I was conscious when I fell and I, and I basically knew I broke my neck straight away. You know, you just know the feeling when you break a bone, mm. the, the heat, the, the the pressure that builds up very quickly. Um, I was very blasé about that situation until I got to Hong Kong when I actually got operated on, and mm. you know, and then the the this neurosurgeons tell you, you know, about the spinal cord, and you know, they they tell you, they tell you things you which you never knew. Uh, mm. And and that's when it really hit home how serious it was and how close I'd I'd come um, to selling out. So um, yeah, and you know, but I was very fortunate. Um, there was a lot of things that happened right that after things went wrong. Yeah. You know, we got back to Sydney and you you picked me up from the airport. You know, with all our luggage and I was in this yeah, and I was in this mad looking yeah. upside down bar I'll stool. I'll never forget it. I can I can clearly remember the look on your face when you when I. <laughs> that's a great way of explaining it as well that's exactly basically what it was but you know Brandy, in 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 that you know over the next three months when i had this stupid thing we spent a lot of time together didn't we and, yeah. and we, we kind of made it fun you know we went to bars and you got straws and put it all together and yeah you know we went and got I remember we went and got our our, our belly buttons our belly buttons uh, pierced belly, and that was because you won the premiership i said if we, you win the premiership we'll go and get the belly yeah. buttons pierced and, and the girl that was putting the belly button ring in me fainted because when she seen what this was like, <laughs> you know, but we kind of made things a bit fun and, um, you know, we never took ourselves seriously, but it was a serious situation for me, but it was just like, I looked at it, it was like, it was another bone. It was going to heal. Um, how long is this thing going to take till I get back on the paddock? And that was my only vision, you know? Well, see, I just want to know how Sloan felt when you had the fall in Macau, because I know what Kylie had to go through when I broke my back. So I can only imagine what she went through. Well, Brony, this is when you find out what, what your partner's really made of, isn't it? You know, the ones that have got your back. Um, and you're the same as me, mate. Kylie's got your back. She'll die for you, you know. She'll, she'll put herself under a bus. And this is where you find out what they're really, you know, you've made the right decision, you know. Because when I broke my back, it was almost like rally, Sloan just rallied, rallied the troops and got, Everything in the place. Um, nothing else mattered at that time, but it, all that mattered was your, my health and Tate and Carter. And they just go into this mode where they just they don't 
they just react and do things. Um, you know, and they don't ask. They don't second guess themselves. They don't ask questions. It's almost they just bang and do it. And you sit back and just like I look back at back at their times and and if you were to ask someone to do that, you think they look at you and say, No, I can't do that. You know what I mean? I, I can't simply do that, but they just did it yeah. like that. You know, my it, it was unbelievable. They go into this yeah, protection like mode um, and they protect you and they protect what they have to do, you know. Um, so yeah, obviously it was a tough time, but you know, I, I'll just, in, you're just in awe of these, you know, of your partner, what they do. And like, we would do the same for them, obviously. Um, um, yeah. So this is, um, I think she, you know, she carried herself with a lot of distinction through that time because she just, oh, I, I can't believe what she had to go through. Uh, Bossy, obviously, I fell in the Queensland derby. Did you see the fall, and what did you think when it first happened? Yeah, Brandy, I was um, I was scratched out of the race, and um, oh yeah, I, I seen that fall, and you just know, Through don't you? Like, well. Oh, there's a fall. Lord Arthur fell. Lord Arthur fell back on the field, but Mr. Quickie has hit the lead in the derby. When you see a fall, and especially yours, just the way that you come down and. The, your body position and, and and there was no really roll you know you just know straight away this is not good you know the room went silent immediately and it was just a, it, the air was just it was air was bad really bad in the room you know what i mean it was very quiet everyone kind of thought well this wasn't very good um you know it took a long time for you obviously to get off the track you, you sort of just know, don't you? Like when, 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 like when you return to scale on the horse, if you're in the race, or when you stand in the jockey's room watching, you just know. You just know when you're sort of cantering back, and that ambulance is still sitting there. You know the jockeys. We're not, we're not weak by all means, you know. Like, but we, we're pretty tough in a lot of areas, I think. And if they're, if they're not up, you know that there's a serious problem. Well, and 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 sometimes on the flip side, you'll see a fall in your guard, and that they'll be all right. You just sort of kind of kind of know, yeah, that they kind of. I think that's going to be okay that one. Um, but yours was not. We knew straight away, and I, I I can remember the room for the rest of the day was just. It was like a black cloud was in the room all day. Everyone was very quiet. Um, a little bit. Most of us were a little bit upset because um, we weren't getting much feedback for what was going on. You know, they kept it quiet. So in that moment where you don't know when one of your, your good mates is down because um, you sort of – you're thinking the worst, you know, um, and, geez, it was a horrible room that, uh, that afternoon. It was just black, um, and it just – it was a shit feeling, to be honest. And, um, yeah, we, I can remember that one. That's one we all ne- you'll never forget. Mate, let's fast forward. What race holds – I mean, other than the Melbourne Cup, what race holds a special spot in your heart, like – you, that you've all, you know, I don't know how to explain it, but oh, the Cox plates, yeah. You know, Brandy, I grew up and I, 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 I consider the, the Cox plate well, it was a race that was is even more than the, the Melbourne Cup. It was dear to me because as a young kid, I, I remember I got this um VCR tape and it was called The King and the Man. I watched it myself, <laughs> all about Kingston Town and Manicata, and I, I must have watched it countless times. and you know, watching Manicato winning all those William Reeds at the Valley, uh, Kingston Town winning those Cox Plates at the Valley, it was sort of really ingrained in me, like into my psyche, that this was a special place. Like Mooney Valley is a special place. The crowd was so close, and um, 
So I was really excited. My first ride in a Cox Plate where I ran last on a horse for Gay Waters, but oh, I, I, it was almost just like I was, a, I was like a deer in headlights. I was just like spaced out all day. How how cool this atmosphere! I'd never experienced it. And the, the Cox Plate was a race that I I really wanted to win before the Melbourne Cup. Sir Dragon A takes the lead, coming clear and joins a century of legends. Sir Dragon A for Bossy won the Cox Plate from Armory Russian Camelot for the. Now, horses, like you've ridden some of the best horses I've ever seen. What what horse, you know, like was really special? What horse did you absolutely love riding? Oh, well, Maccabi was without a doubt. Um, but there were so many others. Um, Shogun Lodge was a horse that, you know, I still get a tear when I think about um, the way he, 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 he died with me, had an yeah. aneurysm in a race. Um, but, yeah, yeah went you. through the fence. And, <laughs> but, like, he was an absolute warrior. and. Mm. and he had so many problems. Like he had bad joints. He had things going on with his with his back. Um, and through the week, he was an absolute croc. You know, like he'd get around doing his best. Mm-hmm. But race day, mate, his adrenaline would kick in, and he, mate, he turned to a beast. Um, and he was a ridiculously good horse. Um, his record, just through his racing pattern, should have been a lot better. But he was a horse I just loved being on. I, used to, yeah. you know, he was one of my best. He was like my best mate. You know, I. You know, you just love because I just be admire his uh, the way that he lift when he shouldn't lift, you know. Um, so those horses really touch you. Um, so you think was a horse that absolutely grabbed me. Um, well, the horse that I thought we I never we would would have never seen that we never seen him when his best was Fastnet Rock. Um, he was a horse that was going to take on the world, and I promise you, he was he was a proper superstar, you know. So well, yeah, but I, I've I've been fortunate enough, like yourself, Brandy. I've been mixed up with so much great talent. You've been one of those jockeys that just seems to bond with good horses on good days. Like um, I'm not going to be rude, but a lot of the trainers in Sydney um, had you down as a, a Saturday jockey. You know, like you only rose to the big occasions and you didn't really, you know, do that well. But I've noticed over the years that you could just seem to bond with those horses in those big races. Is that how did you come about that? Well, that just goes back, Brandy, when you were a young kid. You know, like you, when you've been around an animal for so long, um, and you know this, you even before you get on them, you can look into their eye and you get an understanding of their body language straight away. Um, I can virtually know a horse's history by the time I got to got to the barriers. I'll know everything about that horse. I'll know, uh, you know, if it's a horse you need to push, you need to give a cuddle to, um, how it responds to your voice, how it responds to what you're doing on it. Um, and, 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 and they're like people. Like, there's some people when you get on the, the when you're in the, their presence, you don't like them straight away. For some reason, or you're not, or the, they're not, you're not going to gel with that person. You know what I mean? You get that feeling straight away. Or there's other people that you warm to straight away. Uh, and animals, horses particularly, they're, they're, they're like dogs, they're, but they're even more sensitive than dogs. You know, they they, they, they have that same reaction towards you. If you approach them in an aggressive manner, you're on the wrong foot straight away. If you approach them in a in a, in a manner where you, you're no threat, um, you you know you want to be in their presence you, and, and you want to work with them. Well, and they actually invite you into their into their space. You don't ask to to be invited. They actually invite you in. Mm. And then, you, then you become part of their their little inner circle, and and you know it's like you get to the barriers, and all of a sudden you just you're patting them and you're talking to them, and they're listening to you, um, and you 
you just had this little bomb that starts mm. instantly there. And, and it's, it comes down to a, there's a, there's a few words I love to word. It's a trust and the bond, but you have so much respect for this animal. You know what I mean? The, the things that these horses do at speed with us on their back, I'm, I'm, I'm still like that 10-year-old kid that used to go flat out on a horse. I'm still in awe of what they do. Um, and you don't get a real perspective until you do it. Going flat out on a horse as fast as you can possibly go, um, and you're sitting in this on this little saddle and you're perched up on top of them, and the way they adjust and, and feel your weight and, and do things underneath you, it's these little things that they do is they're they're an amazing animal. So you just have so much respect. Um, so there's a, there's a real love for this animal. Like I love the animal. There's no other. Honestly, I can't put any plane. I just I just love watching them. I love being around them. I love being on them. Um, I love that bonding thing that you do. And and it's not always perfect. There's some of them you get on and you just go, oh, mate, you, you're not my friend and he doesn't like you. Can't wait to give him back. You can't wait to give him back. But <laughs> but the ones you get on with and you make that real bond with, it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's a special place. Now, tell me, look, we'll go into the cup. You know, why is this race for every Australian jockey so what's in us that just needs to, to have one or to be in the race? Oh, there's so many things. It's uh, it's such an iconic event. You know, the whole nation basically stops for that, you know, three, four, three or four minutes that surrounds that race. You know, the sweeps, um, you know, when you were brought up as a kid in school, you would have been in a sweep, you know, Belt Melbourne yeah. Cup. Yeah. Um, so it's it's such an important event to the Australian public and, 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 and around the world now. So... But as we were growing up, it was such an an, an icon, uh, iconic event in Australia, and it's almost like our Olympic Games, isn't it? It comes around for us. It comes around once a year, um, and if you're involved in any Olympic event and you're an athlete, you want to win gold. You know what I mean? You don't see anything else. It's nice to get a silver. It's nice to get a bronze, but heh, it doesn't mean anything until you get the gold. And yeah. and it's and it's and it's hard to win. It's a bloody mm. hard race to win. Um, You've got to have the right horse. You've got to have the, the jockey who's in form. You've got to have, and the jockey who can and really control himself on the day. It, it, it and mm. you've got to be in control of everything that you're doing on that day. Um, because if anyone says, "Oh, you just ride it like any other race," that's the biggest yeah, load of shit I've ever heard. It's not like because yeah. because the build up and it's not just the race. It's the the whole event. It's the planning. It's months and months. Um, so it, it it becomes a very big event on the day. So you've got to be able to control yourself. Um, it's actually quite daunting. Like I, I remember years ago when I first started to ride in the race, so I was a young kid and all I wanted to do was get in the race, you know, just to stand there and when they sing that national anthem at the like and it gives you that shiver. But I remember, uh, I reckon it would be the first time I'd nearly ever stepped down into Melbourne Um you flew home from Hong Kong. You were riding in Hong Kong at the time. You That's come right. home to ride Champagne. And the the emotion that went through you when you come in, you run second, you know, like you snapped your whip, you know, like you're kicking things and, you know, ranting and raving. And I, at, that, at that point, I reckon I sat down there and thought, this is a much bigger deal than I actually mm. first thought it was, you know, like the emotions that, you know, when you haven't been able to win the race. Like you, you, you get that when you don't win big races, you know, and something goes wrong. But to see that, on that day for you, that sort of for me was like a 
not a turning point, but it was just like something changed. Like I just didn't realize how much emotion goes mm. into it, you know. Um, and on on emotion, like you've won three of them. Can you explain the three? Are they all were they all different? Or, you know, like, did, did you get that same feel or was there one that stood out different from the other? like three of my babies, but they're all different, you know. Um, and, and you're 100% right, Corey, when you say the emotion, like that, that, that particular day when I got beat on champagne, it, I was actually physically ill. You know, like I vomited after the race back in the, in the sheds and, you know, it, it really affected me. So, like you say, but when you have the flip side of that coin, when you get one, it's – it's the emotions, but the flip side of it, you know, and, and like you were part of that journey as well. Remember like you'd come to the, after I won, you, you come to the celebrations. I made sure that, because, you know, we're always together and I made sure that you come to the celebrations with me. And, and I think that gives you a taste of what it's like. And, and that's what, you know I mean? It, and you think, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in that moment, you know, one day. And, and, and fortunately enough for you, you, you were there. Well, it pretty much happened very, very similar to you because my, my, mine was, yeah, yeah. The, well, I actually me. cried when I got yeah. back on Bower. You know, I actually, I cried. I broke down and cried and Simon O'Donnell come in and, you know, said, would you change anything? And I said, well, of course I'd change something. I'd run, I'd win yeah. the race. I don't want yeah. to run second. But he said, no, would you change anything the way you don't? And I said, well, I couldn't. I said, I'd give it a good ride. Everything was there yeah. for the taking. But I I was lucky enough to come out the very next year and win it. But, mate, I, I, I know what you're saying with your journey. Like you have obviously had the three of them. I wasn't here for the third one, but... The first two, mate, honestly, it was so, so, so real for me, mm-hmm. let alone you riding, partnering in the same horse and creating history. You know, it's, it's history in itself to win the Melbourne Cup as a jockey. But to do three in a row, like like Lee Freeman said, that, that, that will probably never be seen again. But a champion becomes a legend. McCarty Debra's won it from over on his own. Excellent. Like a falcon is close up and just behind those horses then. It's not so much all about the victories. It's it's about the whole journey. Um, you know that's that's where it, it, it really because you know there's only certain people in the inner sanctum that really know about the whole journey, the things that went on behind closed doors. These are the special moments. You know the little mornings track work, um, her final gallops. Um, you know being part of the team. You know knowing that you've ticked all the boxes all the way through. The, the actual journey for me is more important than the actual outcome because if you do all those beautiful things on the way, do it right, you can almost prejudge the outcome because you know it's going to, you just know it's going to happen because you've done everything perfect on the way through. Um, no hiccups, you know, and, and, we, and when you're dealing with an animal um, with their own emotions, you know, it, it's difficult too, you know, but she was such a, she was such an amazing animal. Um, and and the trust and that I had we had with each other and the trust I had with what I knew what she was going to do every moment of every step of every race, um, you're so confident, you know, and um, you know a bit, bit like the wink stuff and you know the black caviars, you know the great mares, they just they just turn up on the day, no questions asked. You ask them to run through that brick wall, they run through it with not even a hesitation. Um, so you always knew that they backed you up. Those three rides, like, they were absolutely unbelievable. You know, like, every one of them, you just, you know, like, everything happened for her. What did you feel from, like, the 100 through? You know, like, what are you feeling? Um, you know, what's going through your head? Oh, the last one, her, her, her third cup was the most 
amazing feeling I've ever had in a, on an animal or in any event. Um, you know, she she kicked clear, and I knew that when she when the afterburners come on, there was nothing that was going to come from behind her. She was on her way, and I just had that moment, and it like you know. The furlong and a half last 15 seconds, you know, when you go flat out, it's not long. But I just had this moment where everything just I, everything just sort of stopped and I could hear the race call. And, you know, when a horse breaks stride, you know, their front leg hits the ground, they break stride, they slow down by about a K or two. And in that moment, the, the, the wind stops a little bit. So it's like, ha, ha, ha. You know, you hear the crowd and then you don't hear them for a millisecond. And it's like, ah, ah, yeah. ah, and I could hear the, the call. It was, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now, but he, you know, he, these moments, yeah, and it's almost <laughs> like you could feel every stride. Um, and you knew that you were going to hit the winning post first time, but the, you're thinking, where's this freaking winning post? You know what I mean? Because you just want it to happen. Yeah. And then it, you go past the line yeah. and you have a furlong or two where you actually truly, in your own mind, you can't believe this just happened. Is it not? Is this is this real? And you would have felt the same. You sort of think you're fighting this emotion. Is did this actually really just happen? Yeah, of course it just happened. And then you you guess you second guess yourself again. You go, I can't. Is this really just happened? You know. And this you have this little battle, yeah. and it goes on for about thirty or forty seconds. I don't know. And then all of a sudden the emotion comes with you. Then and then the flood comes because you just know it's happened. Oh, that's young. I'm struggling for words right now. <laughs> What a great mare. Oh, she's unbelievable. She just gives you so much confidence, this mare. Ladies and gentlemen, give her the reception she so richly deserves. The favourite. She's won the Melbourne Cup for the third time. Makati Diva. And this is where the, you just have this, it starts at your toes and it just walls up through your whole body. And that's where, it, and it's just, and this is why we do it, Brownie. You know, you just can't. I, I said the same, like every time I get asked, how, how did you feel? You know, like what, what, and I said, mate, it's so hard for me to explain what I felt, but I said, if I could bottle it and give everyone a taste of it, you could not, you couldn't put a price on, you know, like what, what it, what it feels yeah, like. There's I said, no drug, there's no drug in the world, Brenny. And, and, and I sort of, how I explain it to people, I sort of had, it was like a slideshow that was, you know, like a, you push a button, the slideshow. Yeah. And and you get another frame, another picture comes in your mind. It was like I was having a thousand slideshows in, in seconds. <laughs> once, yeah. It was like you, you you remember where you come from, you remember the journey. Uh, you think about the owners, the Lee Friedman. Yeah. You think about your family. Um, you think about yourself. You think about the horse. It's just this overload of of pictures through your mind of of your backtracking of what the journey to get to this point. Um, but it's it's so fast, but so clear at the same time. And in almost confusing, um, there's so many different emotions that are going through your body, um, and then you just want it to last forever. You you, you come back to the, the to the enclosure, and you just want to be on this amazing athlete's back for as long as you possibly can, and you just want to soak every little bit of that emotion up, you know. And yeah, it's 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 quite um, it's it's quite an amazing place. Yeah, I, I honestly, I still remember walking into your um your house and the the history making photo for me was um someone on adjacent to the winning post uh, in the stewards tower has got a back on shot of you um, walking through the roses, you doing your victory dance, 
Um, but that photo for me where you see a sea of probably a hundred plus thousand heads, you know, like standing ovation, that that to me is just like, it gives yeah. me shivers every time I've seen that photo when I walked into your house. I, that That's yeah, history. Well, yeah, like every everyone's got their cameras up their phones up and everyone's facing one direction it's like you're Mick Jagger on the stage you know you command the, 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 the you command the crowd they all can't take their eyes off you and, and that's what she she done um, um, I mean there's been many moments like that we've had in our sport um, but when you're in that moment it's you just uh, it's it's a crazy crazy whirlwind that you that you're in at that time and um yeah I, I i don't know whether i'll get back to that moment again i think it's just something that you go okay that was just a very surreal moment in my life and my professional life and, and you sort of just put it away thinking wow you know at least i got to capture that moment tell me is there a horse that you didn't ride that you wish you could have uh, ridden? that's a good question that one um you know the, the feel of real brute strength of a horse like Sunline, like just, you know, a, a horse that had no real great action, but it was just, she just won on sheer brute strength. You know what I mean? Just was, she'd go hard in a race, uh, a bit like a might and power, just brute strength. Um, to feel that underneath it would, it would be, yeah, those type of horses. I mean, I've felt those horses, but you know, those real raw running types that just smash fields. They just don't, you know, don't beat them with sheer speed at the end of a race. They just obliterate a field. You know, the mind and power, sunline, those type of horses, yeah, oh, they, that type of horse would be one I'd love to ride. Now tell me, what about uh, the biggest character that you've ever seen in the jockey's room? I mean, you've you've been in all the jockey's rooms, you know, all states. So who, who would be the biggest character that you've ever run into? Oh, this is funny. I think Mark Zara is a beauty for mine. Um, <laughs> he's got this... Ab- Either him or Callow. Oh, yeah, Callow's one. one. Um, but Mark's got this ability to watch someone and be able to take them off straight away, like their idiosyncrasies or how they move or how they talk. Um, and he and he does it a beauty. Um, he's quite fun, but oh, oh, there's so many good characters. You know, the, the Sydney Dream at the moment is is got is full of uh, good characters. Um, young Bayless Regan is <laughs> very funny. You, kid. Yourself, you, you just piss yourself, mate. He just opens his mouth and something comes out stupid, and you just can't. He's a naturally gifted, funny kid. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's just a joy to be around. You know. So um, yeah, but there's. Yeah, there, actually, there is some very good characters there. I remember we used to have a bit of a banter going in a oh. race and um, it was funny because <laughs> <laughs> the owner, Julie Ritchie, approached me only, I would say, 12 months ago when I was out at a dinner and she she asked me, um, you ruined a Group 1 photo. She said, the only Group 1 yeah. winner that I've had, Outback Prince, she said, oh, you ruined the photo. What were you actually saying to Glenn Boss? And <laughs> Queensland. And I said, the, the, the banter actually started at about the 600-metre yeah. mark. I said, Bossy put me in a pocket and I, I was joking around and I said, somebody just give yeah. me a crack at him because I was going really, really well. And um, you end up kicking two or three lengths yeah. in front of me and I come out from behind you and grabbed you in the shadows yeah. of the post, but I turned around in the saddle before yeah. getting there and said, you've got nothing, boss. <laughs> so it's all okay. Yeah, our banner was unbelievable. I think we started a lot of that. Like we just started on each other a yeah. thousand mm-hmm. and, or anywhere. It didn't matter. We'd find, we'd somehow find each other in a race yeah. and, um, 
and uh, yeah, yeah. give it to each we other. Had a lot it was of good, good times there. I also remember Darren Beeman in amongst there too. Like Daz is a more serious type, yeah. but you could you could ruffle him up and get him get him thinking. Yeah, he'd love to roll up beside him and, and, and let one out, and he'd, and he'd be like, you know, leave me alone. You know, I'm in the spot and you'd be having a crack. Yeah, no, he's. What about sprays, trainers? <laughs> Uh, other um, jockeys. I've given a few or... myself, but I've had a few. <laughs> what would be your best? You think uh, John O'Shea early days when he was he was pretty good at giving us <laughs> uh, praise. Um... Can I bring one to mind for you? I want you to tell us about the Rick or, Rick or Lacey one down at town. Uh, I think it was Ballarat. Oh, was it Rick Ballarat? Or Lacey. Yeah, that was a ripper. <laughs> yeah, this. I think that it was, was a the jockey strike. Um, <laughs> it, it was going around Australia that we we're all going to strike regarding you know the whip whip use and. Um, and somehow I got strung into being the, the, the poster boy, you know, that I was I was the front man had to rally the, <laughs> the troops all, and I didn't know anyway. So we tools down, we stri- we're striking, and anyway, I got on the, the Sky Channel or whatever it was, and I was doing an interview um, saying what was actually going on, you know. Next thing, Rick stuck his head around the corner and said, this is a, he's a disgrace, and he was giving <laughs> I just I pushed him away and said, Rick, you just made a big dick of yourself. <laughs> oh, that was bad, you know, because I, I had so much respect for him, but he just stuck his bib in the in the wrong place. And I had to ring his wife and, and apologize that night and, and I had to ring Rick and say, oh, I'll say sorry. But um, yeah, that was a rip of that, that one day. I think that got a few headlines. While you were riding, did you have any superstitions? Or... No, not really, Brandon. I, I never subscribed to that sort of theory. I'm, I was always a thinker that, you control your own destiny like you know if you do the right things like you know if you do all the right stuff that people don't see along the way um you know you can almost you know the outcome should be what the outcome is um and i and i always thought superstitions are for weak people and and that's totally honest how i thought i thought if people have to rely on the right tie or how they they put their boot on that way or do something i always thought it was showing a sign of, of weakness for me because if things didn't go right, they'd say, oh, it was the damn tyre, you know what I mean? Where they wouldn't think about it. <laughs> no, that's why right, it wasn't gave the it. part of the process. You didn't quite do the process right, so you didn't get the right outcome. So I never subscribed to those. I, I, I thought it was just a weakness thing, so I, I never really fell into that. Stand by for a start. They're set. When you sit in the barriers and you look from the barriers, when you're in the barriers and you're looking down the straight to the wing post, it looks like a long way, but it's amazing how when those barriers break, how quickly you get to that winning post and how much goes on in that short period. It and it doesn't look it looks like a long time from people watching, but for us, mate, we get there in like stack and there's so much goes on in that first Yeah, there's not much banter in the race, but there's a lot of a lot of talk and a lot of a lot of talk. Like I remember one year going down the straight, uh, I think Jimmy was, I can't remember what Jimmy was on, whether it was County Tyrone or something like that, but we're going down the straight first time. And I just remember having to force everyone out off him because he was on the fence and going to go through the fence. But the yelling that went on from the approximately 600 metre mark through the winning post that particular year um, was just out of control. Like there was jockeys yelling left, right and centre. Yeah, yeah. Because the most important part was your first two furlongs of the whole race. That set you up for everything. And then you used to, like I'm like you, I used to get to the 1,000 and that's when my race started. That's when I'd become like that, you know, fucking you, your senses went into overdrive to, you know what I mean? 
Um, the rest of the race was just feeling, well, it was just, just relaxing and feeling it, yeah. So much thinking going on, like from the moment them barriers open to the winning post, that's what I found amazing the first couple of cups I rode in. The jostling and the, yeah, how quick it happens and just, just getting to the winning post first time and trying to find a spot if you've drawn a bad barrier. And if you have drawn a good barrier, trying to hold your spot because there's so many jockeys trying to force you force you out of it. But, but yeah, it's such an amazing race. The first, and it's, I always find I break the race up into to thirds. Yeah, like I do the first third to the winning post and then obviously you get around down the back and you, you want to keep them as happy as possible and then by the time you get to the thousand, you know, everyone, the race starts, you know, like that's where you start shuffling and yeah, a lot goes on between, you know, and in every every part of it I just find amazing to ride. Three, three and a bit minutes, it's crazy. Uh, Bossy, obviously the race looks a lot different this year. We're not going to have interstate jockeys. Um, firstly, what do you like in the race? And secondly, what was the race like to ride in last year with no crowd? Like that was, you know, for poor young Jai McNeil, you know, to win his first ever Melbourne Cup, young kid, that excitement. He still would have been excited, but it wouldn't have felt anywhere near as good when you have that 100,000 plus crowd there. Yeah, there's no doubt for him that would have been so different. But we'd almost become accustomed to it by the time, you know, the spring carnival arrived um, in, in Melbourne. And, um, yeah, it was very weird, um, yeah, riding Cox Plate Day and then getting to the big stage at Flemington and no no people there. and Because that's what – as soon as you open the car door on Cup Day, you open your door, you actually feel the day. It's just different. You – the atmosphere, everything is different. Even when we get the races early, you open the door and straight away you know it's cup day. Um, that day you open the door, it's just there's birds flapping around, there's nothing, no noise, and, it, and it's very surreal because this is not what you expect. Um, so, yeah, this year is going to be obviously uh, – I'm not sure. Who knows? But the landscape's changing day by day, but hopefully crowds get back there. But obviously um, – at this stage, I don't think um, we're going to be able to travel down to Melbourne um, to ride in the Cup, which is going to be a, a, a real, real bummer for us. But um, that's just the landscape that we're, um, you know, that's that we're in at the moment. Your CV, of, as far as Group One races go, is absolutely amazing. I know there's one race that's eluded you, is the Caulfield Cup. Um, must be really disappointing this year, being taken off the favourite and not being able to obviously get to Melbourne, but. Tell us a little bit about the drama hitting Darwin and then and sort of sending you back home. Yeah, I mean, Brent, just the, the crazy times that we live in at the moment. It's 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 very unpredictable. It's um, uh, there's a there's a lot of disjointed things going on at the moment. Um, a lot of mixed signals. Um, so obviously, I got the you know to ride in, incentivize I, I picked up the ride and i picked up some other really good rides going into melbourne and, and when liam Pryor and i looked at the spring going forward we always you know we always say okay we target certain horses and we look at okay where we're going to best sit and all the horses that we targeted this year looked like they were going to go to melbourne so i said let's go to melbourne for the spring and and possibly go down there for good right because sloan's really wants to go back home to melbourne which is she considers a home um 
so we went through all the protocols and, and set ourselves up and, you know, we got the, the green tick to go up to, well, the only way to get down in Victoria was, um, we thought through was to go to a green zone, which is either, you know, which is Darwin. Um, so we put um, the application in to go up there and we're a resident of Victoria and all that sort of stuff. And um, we got the green light. We went up to, we flew up to Darwin and there was a lot of press around me, um, unnecessary. There was a few guys that kept writing stuff in the press and, um, unfortunately, when I arrived at Darwin, there was a camera crew there, and oh, it was just, just so unnecessary, you know, stuff I didn't want. And basically, you got to um, Howard Springs, and we were there three hours, and a couple of coppers coming around, knocking on the door, and said we had to leave. Um, and we were just gobsmacked, you know. And um, we, we were gutted. We were just, you know, just couldn't believe what they'd done. Um, and because, you know, it's a they said, oh, you can't use this as a transit thing, but it's a purposefully built quarantine transit facility. <laughs> you don't go, I'm telling you, Brandon, you don't go there for a, for a holiday. <laughs> it's a shithole. Shit um, but you know what, Brandy, things happen for reasons sometimes. Um, I'm, I was pretty gutted, um, got off horses here and lost horses down there. So all of a sudden you're, um, you, you're not starting from a base, you're actually starting from less than that. Um, but you know you got to keep positive, and um, somehow there's something will happen out of this. You know, well, if if there's someone that it'll happen to, I know it'll be you because you always seem to fall on your feet. What do you actually like in the cup? Have you had much of a look at it? Um, yeah, I think this horse incentivised. Um, I watched his trial the other day down down at um, Cranbourne. He's got the figures. He he just has to back up what he's done through the winter. Um, I mean, you rode a horse called Shocking that went through the winter and come out and won a Melbourne Cup. This horse is far superior to him. Like this horse has got his ratings are huge. He could be, I don't know, I'm not going to prejudge, but he could be something very, very special. This horse, um, as what I was trying to desperately get down there because he just might be one out of the box. Um, but like I said, he he has to, you know, he has to maintain that form or even go higher again. Um, but it's been interesting with with the internationals who come this year because um, with the few numbers they're going to come, I reckon they're going to bring the real, real, real good ones. They're not just going to bring numbers. They're going to bring the ones they think can win. And do we know what will happen like as far as interstate jockeys aren't allowed to go, but what about international jockeys? Oh, I think they're going to struggle to get here, mate, because, yeah, they don't want – yeah, they don't want any new viruses coming from overseas. Um, you know, they're trying to contain this as much as they can. If 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 residents of Victoria can't go back to Victoria to ride in that race, I don't think they're going to let any, any internationals. So. Yeah, internationals. <laughs> yeah, well. It's only fair. But anyway, like Brandy, who knows, right? It's changing daily, right? With So you never say never. So hopefully we get that opportunity to go down there and ride in the Cup this year. All right, mate. Well, thanks very Good much you, for Brandy. your time. It's been a pleasure. And, yeah, congratulations for being the first one on the... Um, on the program. Oh, mate, Brandy, it's an absolute pleasure. Hopefully it's the first of many, mate. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to these type of things. And, uh, yeah, as you get down the, the, the road and the journey of all these people that you're going to interview, you, it's going to be good fun for you, I'm sure. Cheers, Bossy. Thanks very oh, much for your help, mate. Good on, Brandy. I love you, mate. Sweet head.